This is a WTOP original podcast. From Podcast One. Coming up in this episode of Target USA. Moving day for the National Intelligence University. The real core mission here is to bank knowledge uh, of a community that uh, is not publicly open, right? So we teach and research in our classrooms and our labs every day at top secret SCI. Dr. Scott Cameron, president of the National Intelligence University. After 59 years in the Department of Defense, it's now moved to the intelligence community. Some refer to it as the U.S.'s university for spies. We really want our IC senior leaders to see time at NIU as a student or as a faculty member as a testament to an officer's commitment to their professional development. Laura Shaw. Chief Operating Officer in the Office of the Director of National Intelligence and Scott Cameron. Join us to explain why this development is significant. Coming up on this episode of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. Russia could render huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile capable of reaching the whole of the United States. Dangerous terrorist. D.C. is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to seek an attack. Cyber criminals. Decryption successful. America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA, the National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. Recently, the intelligence community announced that the National Intelligence University, which had been under the purview of the Department of Defense for 59 years, was moving over to the intelligence community. So why is this a significant development? We're talking with Laura Shaw. Chief Operating Officer in the Office of the Director of National Intelligence and Dr. Scott Cameron, President of the National Intelligence University. Laura Shaw, why is this significant? It is a wonderful thing to make NIU at ODNI the IC's university, and that's our goal in supporting this transition. It's been, JJ, frankly, a wonderful time to be at ODNI because our DNI Haynes is constantly engaging with partners at the deputies and principal level of the IC agencies, very focused on fostering an open and thoughtful dialogue on issues like this one, how best to leverage NIU as the IC's university and how to prepare our IC officers for the challenges of the future. So the goal is to use this platform now that the university is part of ODNI to actively engage the senior leadership team throughout the IC in shaping the vision for NIU as the IC's university. We really want our IC senior leaders to see time at NIU as a student or as a faculty member as a testament to an officer's commitment to their professional development. So I'll ask this question, I guess, to Dr. Dr. Scott Cameron. Why is this important that you are part of ODNI as opposed to DOD? What's the difference? Well, that's a great question. Uh, for us, this is about this transition is about institutional governance, right? The Department of Education and our creditors seeing us move into a governance system and we are integrated with and fully accountable to our stakeholders in ways that we not necessarily have been in the past. 
uh, our DOD partners, our, our, uh, the legacy that we have with DOD, we're bringing the warfighter with us into a, more deeply into an integrated intelligence community. And our, our ability to bank the knowledge and the intellectual capital uh, of the broader national security enterprise is greatly enhanced by being at the hub, if you will. And uh, Laura, uh, Director Haynes, others could not have been more welcoming and more uh, on point with why this is so important. So it's it's actually this transition, while it's taken years, uh, has has had an incredible conclusion here uh, mm-hmm. this week. Why did it take years? So, you know, because the conversation started, you know, a number when I started in 2017, there was congressional language talking about moving the university over to ODNI. And if I recall, it was 180 days. So this has been a long 180 days. But what happened was it it spawned a really good conversation, uh, an exterior panel report uh, looking at what the future of the university would be uh, in in an integrated intelligence community. And from that conversation, uh, it it got broader and deeper uh, across the Hill, across government. And in the end, everyone had ownership of this decision that being in an integrated environment with our stakeholders under the DNI uh, was the best trajectory for the university's future. Laura Shaw, why at this time, um, I guess as opposed to any other time, I think you said this is a great time to be at ODNI. Why is that, why is that the case right now? And what does it have to do, if anything, with NIU? Well, part of the leadership of the intelligence community and finding ways to emphasize NIU's role as the IC's university is having a continuous and open dialogue with all of the stakeholders at the most senior levels of our IC agencies. And DNI Haynes came in with a deep commitment to transparency and fostering that dialogue. And within just her first few weeks on the job had convened the entire intelligence community leadership to start having these very important conversations about the future of our enterprise. So it is a wonderful time for the university to be joining us and for Dr. Cameron to be appearing before IC leadership and taking on board their input and thoughts for how we can better leverage the university. But I also want to say we can use these community-wide high-level discussions to find ways to encourage full-time participation. And that's important because we really want to foster cohorts of students from different agencies. There is so much value and richness in bringing about these close relationships and networks that will help foster our core ODNI virtues of collaboration and integration. What, what is it that the National Intelligence University will supply from a curriculum point of view that's so important to, to ODNI and the continuum of education that you need to do the kind of work that you're tasked with doing? Well, great question. Uh, it kind of goes back to, to what the real core of the mission is. We're a tripartite university teaching research engagement with our stakeholders, not only our stakeholders in the IC, but the broader national security enterprise, broader academia, uh, as well as the private sector. So for us, those research and teaching and engagement missions are underpinned by the the real core mission here, which is to bank knowledge uh, of a community that uh, is not publicly open, right? So as as we teach and research in our classrooms and our labs every day at Top Secret SCI, uh, able to kind of bank the knowledge of this community, integrate it. And as Laura said, that integrated classroom experience, about 100% of our students 
put that out as as one of the, the major advantages to this education. Being able to hear the mission perspectives, you know your mission, you know what you do, but the depth and breadth of understanding how that integrates with the rest of the process across the enterprise empowers these emerging leaders, right? It, it gives them the confidence uh, in what they know, but also in their ability to lead in a new environment. We are trying to set them, posture them. Their bosses are trying to posture them for a future right now, which is very challenging in many ways. Why? Why is, well, that, why is that future challenging right now? What makes it challenging? The, just the, the basic pace of technology. Uh, I was talking to some uh, university presidents earlier today, and, and it's this idea of looking at learning objectives against requirements, against changing technology, and making sure that we're overlaying and integrating all of those developments across many disciplines, regional, functional. Uh, it, it, is, it is hard to do it uh, as, as one-offs, but doing it kind of an integrated package of conversation. And while we're listening, I think about it too, the students who come into our classrooms, many of them are in their 30s. They're on that path to leadership. They have experienced what life is on the line. They're the ones who make the mission work every day, no matter you know, whether or not the support, whether or not law and policy Tradecraft is is their friend that day. Uh, the idea that they know what works, and so getting their voices into the mix, their experience, extraordinarily important in how we bank knowledge to understand where those solutions are going to come from for the future. And Laura, I want to ask you, what is it that you and your team need that uh, NIU provides, and can and they and they are the only ones that can provide it? I'm assuming. What is it that you need from them? Well, let me give you a, an example, because before I was the ODNI chief operating officer, I served in a number of positions in the counterterrorism community. And as you can imagine, in those roles, we had very little downtime in the regular press of our business. So we used NIU as a place where we could send our big thinkers uh, for a year or more to do academically rigorous thought work at the classified level, which is a truly unique thing. And it became a tremendous benefit to us. So our, our officers would return, they would brief us on their research and their analysis, and that would be used to inform our decision-making. You know, one area I remember in particular that was of value was looking at how to leverage data science in our analysis. And we received the briefing as leaders and we immediately started to think about how we would change our organizational structure, our hiring priorities, and other things to address these conclusions. And that's the kind of impact that sending students, big thinkers, a way to do this thought work um, can bring back to any organization. I'm just a true believer. I watched it happen. So I'm very happy that NIU is part of our family now and that we can continue to encourage leaders around the IC, not just at ODNI, to, to place that same kind of emphasis on using this as a time. And I will say, as someone who just gets excited about academics and gets excited about the idea of doing research and analysis, to be able to do that at a classified level and to be able to dig into the largest classified collection of material on the history of our intelligence enterprise, that is extremely exciting. So I'm hoping <laughs> that uh, we can entice many other students to kind of seize that uh, example and dive into this space. Well, I want to drill down a little bit on this, and I recognize we can't talk about classified things here, um, but we can talk about things here um, that are part of that process, I'm assuming. Um, and one of the things that Dr. Cameron talked about was, you know, researching and teaching, and then there's, you know, top secret SCI. So let me ask you, Laura, um, 
somebody said to me, this is the place where spies are schooled. And some, to some degree, I'm assuming, you know, obviously they have some kind of education before they get to this. What does this do uh, to better train a person in that discipline? How, how does it better train them? Because I'm assuming what you were talking about a minute ago regarding, you know, the, the big thinkers, the heavy thinkers, uh, was more for the management people. But uh, is the same process uh, um, applied to people who may be covert operatives, et cetera, who goes to this university and do they get the same kind of training? Well, I think there's a very important uh, thing to flag in terms of analysis and analytic rigor, which is so much a part of the academic process, just as it is in the profession of intelligence analysis. Uh, so less maybe focus on the jumping out of planes and more on the focus on informing policymakers to make uh, the best decisions to give strategic decision advantage uh-huh. to our leaders. But from the perspective of uh, who can we send? I mean, we send officers at all levels. We send senior officers, uh, both as students and as faculty. We send fairly uh, junior officers because if you think about it, we are providing a great socioeconomic advantage in providing at no cost to the student graduate level education. Uh, and I think that's extremely important. Our The students who go through NIU, it is no personal cost to them. Their home agencies obviously are sponsoring them, have determined that this is the right career move to foster their professional development. But that's a big thing. And it's a strong competitive advantage that they have earning a master's degree through an institution like NIU. So let's just be clear about this then. This is not the American version of the Red Banner Institute. This is much more than that. (laughs) Right. Uh, (laughs) I would say, you know, if you're looking, this kind of links back to the future challenges piece, right? If you're looking at what the future workforce needs to look like, it needs to be kind of broken down. And what is that, you know, as lifelong learners uh, on the job, no matter what your position is across the national security enterprise, uh, it is going to be a combination of training and education that gets you to that future workforce. So what are the knowledge, skills, and abilities that we're trying to build in for the future? So for us, the richness of the experience is not just having you know 18 IC agencies there, but also our other national security partners. So customers, partners, people who actually are the end users. So everything from you know policymakers to operators to analysts, collectors. If you have all of those people in one conversation about how this process gets better, it becomes very rich, and it's fed by people who not have to facilitate that conversation. And that's one thing I'll just flag is that. You know, institutions like NIU help foster this ethos, which is the ODNI ethos of collaboration and integration across the community, of building bridges between partners, between work roles. It is that exposure, that relationship development and networking, which has probably as much value as any other work that we're going to do. Uh, And the ideas that can happen when individuals from different parts of the wider IC enterprise from different professions, operators sitting side by side with analysts, sitting side by side with policy experts, those dialogues and classroom conversations will probably start to really change these students' minds and shape their thinking. And they'll take that back with them and maybe reflect back on it, I hope, for the rest of their career. It's very interesting. Um, So the size of the National Intelligence University, the staff, campuses, remote learning, what does that look like? So we're home-based uh, in a, our beautiful uh, campus in Bethesda. 
Uh, we have uh, sites around the world and around the United States uh, that deliver uh, distance education with us. Uh, you know, for us, the size, you know, we're staffing between 100 and 150, depending on how you kind of look at uh, kind of the broader perspective of who's teaching and, and how we bring people in. Uh, our student numbers, you know, we can range in our full-time program, 200 to 300, uh, another few hundred part-time and then people who are in process with their degrees. So I would say we're capping out below a thousand at any given time in our history. So it is, it is fairly, uh, it's very focused uh, and it's very targeted at, at what we are trying to accomplish. We, we don't have, you know, our breadth of mission, we have a sweet spot that is right in that area of, of that classified, unclassified interface and what we can, what we can do for our community as opposed to other institutions. So you you have an undergraduate degree in the Bachelor of Science and in Intelligence, I understand, and you have master's degrees. So how does one get accepted into this without being in the intelligence community already? Or do you have to be in the intelligence community to get into this university to get that BS, the BSI, I think? Uh, government employee TSSCI cleared. Okay. And permission of your home organization. And then you know, 75% of our students are, are part-time. But then, and, but then the question I would ask is most government agencies, don't you have to have a degree to get hired there anyway? In many cases, yes. Uh, there are people uh, in different roles. So you mentioned the, the undergraduate program. Yes. What's really great about that program is uh, if people come to us with about three quarters of their degree done, right? Uh, we can finish them in a year. I see. And we're doing it in a very seminar uh, style fashion in cohorts. Mm -hmm. And it's actually uh, the rigor of that program is pretty high. And that that degree actually changes people's careers and lives. It, some it of absolutely does. Yeah. I have sent officers through it. Uh, one of the things that happens frequently in the intelligence community is we're hiring folks who have left the military service. And if they were enlisted and never had a chance to finish their degree, this is a, an amazing way to take people who will be future leaders who already have all of the core leadership attributes down. They've led large numbers of humans and to give them the chance to finish the degree. And sometimes what we'll do is give them the chance to get the bachelor's and then stay on for the follow on year to get the master's all in one chunk of time. And some of these, some of these folks are, are people in, in some cases, the first to graduate college in their families too. So there's a lot of, a lot of milestones in this and, and the effort that higher education is making right now and in, in access and diversity, yeah. inclusion, and retention, all very important. So we are trying to model our policies in ways that will give our workforce uh, resilience and strength, you know, in their, in their personal lives and in their work lives. Yeah. You know, I guess everybody in the world is trying to improve their intelligence uh, capabilities uh, through education and other means. How does this university and this partnership with ODNI compare to other nations? Uh, other nations, you know, there's a, there's an awful lot of education that goes along the the, the tradition in, in in our militaries, you know, across our alliances, right? It's always been at a bedrock of of developing uh, officers, and and it for us, uh, I think the institution is is rather unique. Uh, there are some academies that are, uh, I think, in the process of development uh, in other places, but in terms of uh, fully dedicated accredited university like ours, I, I think we are a kind of a rarity in that way. 
but we partner with other institutions that support our allies. So we do have those academic relations to strengthen each other's understanding. Uh, our perspective on our part of the world uh, is greatly enriched by learning from folks who uh, actually educate on the same topics, and they may have more of a regional stake in the topic that we're talking about. Laura, your your role as chief operating officer, clearly this is a, a part of your portfolio there. Where do you want this to go in the years to come? Um, we know where we are now. We know that there is going to be an explosion, if there hasn't already been one, of uh, learning capabilities, possibilities because of technology. And, you know, there are a lot of different things that are taking place. You know, some of it automated, some of it uh, is, is you know, computer driven. But then you have to educate people adequately in order to fill roles like yours and others. Um, so what do we what, what, what do we expect for the future of this, this, this partnership and, and where ODNI wants to go? Well, I think that there are so many aspects of this that are exciting. As we look with the intelligence community and historically not an amazing track record of recruiting and retaining for diversity. And as we see that as an emphasis area, not just for this administration, but for this DNI, this is an opportunity to look at further ways we can remove socioeconomic barriers that may be hindering promotion potential, that may be hindering the advancement and the diversity of the IC writ large. This is an opportunity to continue to foster that ODI ethos I mentioned of collaboration and integration, of allowing officers from an early part of their career to feel like they are part of an IC first, that they have plenty of pride in their home organization and a lot of special skills and in-depth knowledge that comes with their particular occupational role, but that bigger than that, they are an IC officer and they have a strong sense of feeling a part of the larger enterprise and understanding how their individual mission contributes. And that's something that I believe NIU can help inculcate in people early in their careers. The opportunity to allow our officers as they develop, perhaps after taking advantage of degree programs to come back and be part of faculty at NIU is also very exciting. I think as many of us reach times in our career where we're more focused on giving back and making sure that the next generation is positioned for success, we start to think, how are the ways that we can add that value? And going and spending time teaching and thinking, and you know, Scott can, I'm sure, talk more, but as a faculty member, writing and contributing to the academic dialogue, publishing uh, is also tremendously exciting. So we couldn't possibly be more excited to foster these conversations, to foster the information sharing on priorities and vexing issues and key challenges, so that all of that can feed into the research planning. And when Scott is convening his board of visitors, the discussion that they have, uh, I think this is going to position the university for success, position the IC for success going forward. Yeah. You know, I have one follow-up question for you, Laura, and then to you, Scott. Um, um, what Are there any particular disciplines that you are more interested in, the IC is more interested in training up people in and uh, giving them more training in than others? Well, I mean, it is a broad and emerging issue set, so I, I don't want to be exclusive. Obviously, we have had a, a lot of uh, difficulty attracting STEM talent yeah. in general, certainly in areas like cyber and other issues. Uh, but as we face all sorts of challenges today, I mean, look at this past year and now the emerging emphasis on global health yeah. and the role 
that perhaps the intelligence profession should play in analyzing some of those issues. Uh, the opportunity to use those challenges and those developing situations to inform the curriculum is, I think, something that's going to be very fruitful going forward. Yeah, uh, Scott, um, please, uh, would you go ahead with what you were going to say regarding that earlier uh, line of questioning? Oh, yeah, no, and, and Laura's, Laura's spot on. Uh, I think the the force multiplier effect of where there is actually literally synergy that comes out of this relationship in a, in a number of different ways. First off, uh, as an academic in the 90s, I'd fly across the country to talk to my stakeholders, try and discern their needs. What are the learning objectives? What are those knowledge, skills, and abilities? And now I've got a board of <laughs> directors advising me, if you will, from across the intelligence enterprise, sitting in one place, having a conversation about what those employees need to look like. And the individual needs of uh, agencies and functional disciplines become an integrated conversation so that we can actually deliver not just what the employees in one functional discipline needs, but to help the rest of the community support that statutory authority, whatever that agency mission or the department mission is. So there's, there's a, a, we help each other by doing that. And the other thing too, you know, in, in terms of uh, looking at who those students are and, and, and recruiting STEM diversity and retaining it, uh, all of those issues kind of surround our ability to, to, to work with programs, existing programs that ODNI already has. So the Centers for Academic Excellence, being able to go out and, and work with other universities as a university and see that talent that's out there, bring them into DC, get that pool coalesced and have people to be able to see the excellence that's there. And, and why, having them wind up in the national security enterprise, trying to figure out what their hopes and dreams against our needs are to, to, to put people in those positions, recruit them in, and then have an, an education to NIU be a perk of, of being recruited into, into national security. You mentioned this, this global health, uh, this interest in using this, this education to, to improve what we know and, and how you're focusing on global health. What is the way that this university will help you do that? Because I did hear something last year from several people in the national security community about the, the ability to predict um, scenarios like the one, the COVID-19 scenario, and the, to, to analyze what was taking place was something that might have been missing because of some decisions that had been made by a previous administration. So how would this, this uh, partnership help improve your ability to engage on that platform? Well, I think there's a couple of things. First of all, uh, we'll be looking for the IC senior leadership to engage in what their key issues are and how the university, now that it's part of ODNI, can help support not just what one organization is doing, what, but what across the enterprise, how we're looking at these issues. But there's also, and Scott can speak to this, I'm sure in more detail, but there's also you know, great value in having individuals who are away from the core mission reflecting on these big picture issues and identifying and having a means by which to raise to high C leadership flagging and developing areas that may be worthy of investment. So these are ongoing conversations that I think once the connections are built in should begin to flow more seamlessly. Uh, there is going to be ample opportunity for, for Scott to be talking to IC leadership in his role and to be taking on board their feedback, as he mentioned, but also I hope to be elevating the work and the good thought 
of the students and the faculty at NIU to help identify those core challenges, you know, ideally in advance, but, you know, we continue to adapt. We're always adapting. And so I think that this is a framework in which we can identify issues where we would like to have more talent and help scope out curricula to build that talent. And none of that will happen overnight, but I think the most important thing and the thing that we get out of this uh, new relationship between NIU and ODNI is a means to do that on a regular basis as part of a governance process. So I think we're well positioned and I'm excited. I'm excited about all the work that will go into making these muscle movements yeah. regular now that we have the chance to to build up the muscle memory. I've been counting and you have used the word excited seven times. Me. It's me, JJ. Yeah. <laughs> I'm always very excited. But it's completely... When you're not excited, just go home. That's my opinion. <laughs> if I'm going to be here, I'm going to be all in. <laughs> That's completely okay because I am too. <laughs> so it's okay. It's completely okay. Um, uh, Scott, you were going to weigh in, and uh, I want to get some final thoughts from you as well on this. Well, I obviously share all of Laura's excitement and, and the DNI as well, who's been uh, so welcoming for the institution and the commitment to what this means for the next 10, 20, 30 years as we try and build that workforce out and come up with better solutions for our community. Uh, so if you look at uh, Folks in the workforce who every day come to work, they see the challenges, they have ideas, they have ideas or how they could lead through some of those challenges. This gives them an opportunity to put that on the table. And it's a two-way street. We're not just educating them, they're also helping to educate us mm -hmm. and build a path forward. We learned that during COVID. Our students actually helped to lead the way in, 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 in terms of tailoring the education and the circumstances that, and our graduation rates remain very high as a result because of their ownership in the process. So for us, when you talk about uh, kind of the, the real challenges, whether they be technology, you know, having a technological base, talking about public health and pandemics, I mean, if you look at artificial intelligence, machine learning, data analytics, right? These are things that have, have been conversations for a long time and they are disciplines under themselves to some degree, but they overlay everything else. Yeah. So how is public health? How will we deal with public health based on a better handle on how advanced data analytics and machine learning and AI will help us to do that? Uh, and, and that's the thing, the, the acquisition people are asking the same question. CI people are asking the same question. So how do we give people an education and an understanding that they can be grounded to face the future with not one size fits all solutions, but an understanding that their ability to be fluent and deeply educated on these issues is, becomes more of a Swiss army knife across a broader problem set, which Laura was really good at describing before. Yeah. You both have been. Thank you. Uh, is there anything that either of you would like to add that we haven't talked about that you think is important as we uh, look at this historic uh, development? No, I just want to say that we're very thankful that Scott is in his position as the president. He's an ODNI plank holder, so nobody understands the ethos and what we're trying to do here at ODNI better than someone who's been on this long and winding road. And it's wonderful to welcome the entire university, but to welcome Dr. Cameron back to the family officially. Well, full, full disclosure, Laura and I have worked together for many years <laughs> in counterterrorism, so uh, feelings are very mutual about uh, coming home. And that's that's actually, you know, when I when I stepped away in 2017, the message to me from leadership was bring the university home. And uh, so this week, I'm home. Yeah. Uh, 
We've left no one behind. We're just <laughs> oh bringing them, uh, more deeply into an integrated intelligence enterprise that wants everyone to benefit from that integrated experience and coming up with you know our workforce of the future and letting them lead us there. Man, you guys are loaded with these metaphors today. You've left no <laughs> one behind. I'm home. The Swiss Army knife. This is all good. I am so thrilled that the two of you didn't think it was robbery to sit down with me and us to talk about this today because you are, and just let me say this, and I don't want to hear any guff about it, but you, both of you are rock stars in your your respective communities, and congratulations, and, um, you know, this is exciting. Oh, thank you. It was a pleasure. Thanks so much. Love to have you out to campus sometime soon. That was a great interview, great people to talk to. As I've said before, it's important to have access to people like that uh, who are in the upper echelons of their professions in the intelligence community. And I'll be honest about it, there are some in the intelligence community in government in the U.S. right now that don't feel like smaller organizations or podcasts or radio stations deserve their senior leaders' time. But clearly, these folks get it. And this is why, because you now have a better understanding of what they're doing. You have the human side of them. And you also see what we try to do every day, the demystification of the intelligence community. We're not trying to give away any secrets. We're simply trying to understand it a little better. And who better to do it than a couple of people like them? Coming up on our next episode, the meeting between President Biden and Russian leader Vladimir Putin. In my opinion, the meeting shouldn't have happened in the first place. Putin has done nothing to deserve sitting on the stage with the most powerful man in the free world. That's Bill Browder. The Russian government has issued seven red notices to, as Bill Browder puts it, to capture him and kill him. Why? He's also the head of the Global Magnitsky program. It's an initiative designed to impose economic sanctions on and deny entry into the U.S. to any foreign person identified as engaging in human rights abuse or corruption. Vladimir Putin is a key target, and Browder says the summit was a gift for Vladimir Putin. And so Putin is just lapping it up, thinking, okay, I've done all this terrible stuff, and now everybody wants to have a summit with me. It's like totally the wrong uh, message to send to this guy. That's coming up in our next episode of Target USA. In the meantime, if you have any questions or comments, send me an email. You can reach me at jgreen at wtop.com. That's the letter J, the color green, one word, at whiskeytangooscarpapa.com. jgreen at wtop.com. Also, please consider subscribing to our podcast and you can follow us on twitter we're at t-u-s-a podcast that's at tango uniform sierra alpha podcast and finally if you want more national security news you can get it by signing up for my newsletter it's called inside the skiff and you can sign up at wtop.com slash alerts i'm jj green and this is target usa the National Security Podcast. Good morning, good afternoon, and good night. And-
And welcome to T-Pain's Nappy Boy Radio Podcast. The most fun you'll ever listen to while you're folding your clothes. Now let's get this straight. This is not your average podcast. T-Pain's Nappy Boy Radio is super fun, super crazy. It's pretty much an in-your-face conversation. That's the good thing about us. We don't do interviews. We do conversations. All of my guests, all of my co-hosts, we chill. We drink, we play games, we have the song of the week, we have the creative curse word of the week, as long as you're having fun as our guest. Speaking of guests, each week I'm going to go through my whole contact list and dive head first into the world of music, gaming, exotic cars, tech, strippers probably, doctors probably, probably strippers that are only stripping so they can pay for tuition to become a doctor. You never know. My wife is a certified bartender. She'll make you a drink while you're here. We'll get you drunk and make you play VR after. It's a lot going on, but that's what it's all about over here at T-Pain's Nappy Boy Radio Podcast. See you soon, baby! Now, stay tuned for the latest headlines from the Associated Press.